good evening, and welcome to The Midnight Owl. The Midnight Owl is a proud member of the Not After 30 podcast network. This evening we are discussing where did human consciousness come from. This episode is the Stoned Ape Theory. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. Terence McKenna Before we get too deep into this episode, I want to warn you, listener, that I'll be talking about drug use. Specifically the use of psilocybin mushrooms, commonly known as magic mushrooms or shrooms. If you are under the age of 20, I'm not promoting the use of drugs. I can't and won't tell you what to do. I know for a fact that when I was your age, if someone were to tell me not to do something, it would not have even phased me. Self-diagnosing myself with oppositional defiance in all likelihood being told no or don't, would have only made me more likely to do that thing. Take this advice and do with it as you will. Just think about it and see if it applies to you. I don't know you, so there's a good chance it won't. There's plenty of time for drugs down the road. You're becoming the person you will be for the rest of your life, and your brain is still developing. It's easy to wind up in the same basement watching the same episodes of South Park until one day you wake up and you find out that you're 30. If you're my employer, then this is just an allegory to warn kids and not based on any form of reality. Wink. If you were to start smoking weed or messing around with mushrooms now, think about all the dumb adventures you may pass up along the way. All the friends and romances you never had. This is going to affect all of the doors that are open to you down the road. Staying in this reality and buying in and believing school and employment are important will make your life easier. I understand you want to figure out who you are, what the world means, and your place in it, so don't mistake me and think I'm promoting a materialistic lifestyle. But you can cut down on years of work on the back end of your life. You won't find yourself in a cycle of restarting, of looking at a resume and wondering... What the hell am I actually capable of? Of being afraid of falling in love because you might have missed your chance to know how to act in a relationship with all the failed romances you never had along the way. I was a chronic pothead, burnout, whatever you want to call it, for a few years. Honestly, there's a few years in my 20s that I have next to no memory of. It's unfamiliar and hazy. I think I can quote most of the Chappelle show verbatim, so there's that. But would I change any of those purple hazy memories for another more active life? Absolutely not. The people I've met along the way have been amazing. Their light has been what's kept me interested in seeing what tomorrow has to bring. So I might not be where I want to be, but I'd like to think I'm a decent person. I'm still searching for fulfillment in my life, but that's okay. The journey we all take in life is actually pretty amazing, as long as we remember to live it, and to not get too caught up in the machine. I want to give my heads up or warning a little more clarity. My path could have been easier, 
if I had decided to hold off doing drugs for a few years. People's perception of me became that I was the stoner. This one aspect of my life became who I was in their eyes. Cannabis may have affected my mental health with anxiety and occasional panic attacks, as well as short-term memory loss. On top of that, I can't get to sleep without it. I need the ritual. I don't like being controlled by a plant. And again, I might not like it, but six cups of coffee today and a half a pack day smoking habit makes me feel like I could almost be druidic in my devotion to the plant kingdom. <laughs> Seriously though, it's a gamble, however low, that you can cause yourself serious harm. There's growing evidence that a very select number of people may have a reaction similar to an allergy when smoking cannabis. This allergic reaction can cause a psychotic break. So please remember this. If you're unsure whether or not you want to take drugs or feel pressure to try them regardless of how old you are, sometimes it may feel like everyone around you is drinking and smoking weed. Just remember lots of people don't. You're loved. You're cool as you are. Your path is your own. Figuring things out for yourself is the only freedom anyone really has. Use that freedom. Make up your own mind, Rico. Starship Troopers, 1997 Cannabis is legal in Canada for recreational use by individuals over the age of 19. Mushrooms have been decriminalized in Colorado, but are still illegal most places. I've often talked about my age and how I feel like an old man, but... These kids today will never understand having to go to a seedy neighborhood and make nice with your dealer. No matter how scuzzy they are, hoping they don't turn on you, rob you, stab you over a half-quarter, looking and nodding with delight as they lie to you about their different strains, even though they're all clearly the same thing. I just, I hope that one day I have a chance to bust this out on some 20-something as they complain about having to go to the store to get their weed or having it delivered to their house off the internet, and it takes too long. Well, you whippersnippers don't know how easy you got it. Back in my day, I had to walk uphill both ways to get drugs, and it was filled with stems and seeds. Top that off, you could go to jail. Use your job. Get off my lawn. To those that don't do drugs or just drink alcohol, cheers. I respect you and your choice. This episode might have a slight bent towards actual drug use, but the main purpose is the idea of where did thought come from? What was the quiet whisper that tipped the first domino that took us from the animal kingdom to being a human being? If you don't smoke cannabis, you may spend your evening balancing your checking account. If you do smoke cannabis, you may spend your evening contemplating the causes of the Greek Renaissance. Terence McKenna I've drawn on enough about drugs, the dangers, blah blah blah. Let's get into this theory. A quick clarification is a theory is a bit misleading. It's a hypothesis, it's an idea. A thought experiment backed by logical deductions. But it has not been proven. Time travel or a series of extremely detailed new discoveries would have to take place for it to be determined a certainty. So take it as that. An idea. A conversation starter. A point to begin research if it tickles your mind. Maybe on a nice day when you're out for a walk and you want to let your mind wander. Free of everyday concerns. Think about your own ideas about how 
we came to be in the form we are. The only known creature that can actually have that thought. Side by side with a billion of other sentient creatures of the same design that may be wondering about the same thing. Maybe the stoned ape theory doesn't speak to you, but if it made you daydream or sent you on a mission to research other beliefs or hypothesis, I think the stoned ape theory has done everything it was intended to do. The stoned ape theory was developed by Terence McKenna in the late 80s, early 90s. It was detailed in his book, Food of the Gods. McKenna is an interesting enough guy that I would love to do an entire episode on him and his adventures. Stone Deep Theory has been discussed on Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Joe's talked with experts and has a wealth of knowledge and experience of his own. It feels way too formal to refer to him as Joe. Mr. Rogan? Joe Rogan? Either way. Thank you for introducing this idea to me. It certainly left me spiraling into thought more than once. Listener, if you'd rather hear a professional give you a proper education on this, Google Joe Rogan, Stoned Ape, and there is a wealth of information and videos. Our biological ancestors, Homo erectus, was essentially an early human variant that evolved into Homo sapiens. Something had to have happened to them to force a change. Species will not change for no reason. Look how stubborn the alligator is. It's been around in its form for around 200 million years. During this evolutionary transformation between Homo erectus and Homo sapien, the human brain doubled in size. It's unclear exactly when, but it was between 200,000 and 2 million years ago. On the evolutionary spectrum, that is unthinkably fast. Terence McKenna suggested in the Stone Ape Theory that this may have been influenced by the addition of psilocybe cumnesis to their diet. Psilocybe cumnesis is a fungus that would often be found growing out of cow patties. Psilocybin mushrooms are a hallucinogen, often referred to as magic mushrooms or shrooms. A common criticism of the Stone Ape Theory is that people think that McKenna was suggesting that the addition of magic mushrooms alone were enough to give humanity the boost from organized tribe of primates to fully formed human beings. It's more complicated than that, more subtle. We're dealing with hundreds of thousands or millions of years of changes. Think about this. We are in the year of 2019. That is just a measurement from the birth of Jesus till now. Think about all of the history in 2,000 years. Kingdoms and knowledge have come and gone. Wars have spanned the globe. We landed on the moon. People are starting to pretend like the prequel trilogy of Star Wars was good. Compare that to the 200,000 or 2 million years of evolution. The changes introduced to us from magic mushrooms would have been so gradual that it'd be next to unnoticeable. Until you step back and see the big picture. Humanity came from the African continent. At the beginning of our story as humanity, the weather would have been lush and tropical there. It's believed that our human forerunners would have been arboreal, meaning living in the trees. It makes sense because that's where the food was, and we were away from predators. We would have had larger brains than most animals already, and theoretically have communicated through somewhat complicated signals. Not language, but with noise to warn of predators and problems. Keep in mind much of this is just educated guesses. Slowly the weather began to change. At this time, desertification was stretching across the African continent, 
and this was affecting the tropical canopy that would have been home to our made food sources. With food becoming increasingly scarce, they left the safety of the trees in search of food. What they found were large grazing mammals, like deer, elephant, cows, and were able to follow them and look for scraps or leftovers from lion kills. It's suspected at this time we started to become omnivores out of necessity of survival. In a new habitat, there would have been exposure to countless mutagens that these tree-dwelling apes had never encountered before. Every bite of every new plant, bug, or meat would introduce the possibility of a beneficial or detrimental trait to the genes. An easy meal for an ape on the go would be to search out under cow patties. Cow patties are cow poop. This cow poop would have had insects growing under them. A large herd would produce lots of chances of food. Therefore, it's a logical leap that we would have followed the herd. Solocybe cubnesis could have been in the area at this time. Essentially, the climate and conditions are ideal for it. They are known to grow in cow poop. There's no reason, then, if the mushrooms were there, that our ancestral predecessors would not have eaten them. At least once. If you're hungry enough, even something that makes you feel sick or looks like what your instincts suggest could be poison, you're going to chance it. I mean, haven't we all been a day away from payday and you're going through your freezer burnt section of your fridge or start to rationalize expiration dates of those cans at the back of the cupboard? Terrence McKenna, based around a 1960 study by Roland Fisher, suggested that at low doses, psilocybin-containing mushrooms increase visual acuity, specifically edge detection. The dose would be so low that we would barely feel the effects, if anything. An increase in edge detection would have had a great advantage over the members of the tribe that did not want to eat the mushrooms, either due to the fact they did not like the taste or didn't like the feeling. The advantage comes into effect when predators came around, they would have a better chance of spotting them. Or when looking for food sources, they would spot them first. This increase in food supply and not getting eaten would in turn create a higher rate of reproductive success. McKenna also suggested that it would increase sexual arousal at higher dosages. It would be a natural progression because they know it's edible, gather more to eat when you can. When procreation is the name of the survival game, this is a definite evolutionary tool. Breed your genes far, and they will have the largest impact. Then, at even higher doses, boundaries would begin to dissolve. If the grouping or tribe all took shrooms, a tribe-wide sexual arousal would encourage the chances of orgies or orgastic sexual lifestyle. What McKenna inferred from this was that you wouldn't know whose kid was whose. With the community bonding, a communal upbringing would force in a protective instinct onto all children. All can be your offspring, so all represent a chance of your most base biological imperative to procreate. This would increase the chances of all offspring's survival, as well as vary the genetic diversity of the tribe. At even higher doses, McKenna believed it would trigger the language-forming region of the brain. This would reveal itself in the form of music, possibly even visions or hallucinations. Taking the arboreally 
evolved repertoire of troop signals expanding to the first forms of language, mostly because they would be trying to explain the power and strangeness of the experience to one another. Taking the orgy idea and expanding on it, if it's a communal upbringing, then the dominant or alpha male tendencies would lessen. In a sense, the ego would begin to dissolve. Searching for answers, humanity's impulse towards religion was born. Like the Christians, here we are seeing what could be likened to the Holy Trinity, something that can only be in balance when all three aspects are respected, the cow, the mushroom, and man. A utopian society. The cows gain the protection of early man. Humans have meat, milk, and other food sources. The fungus holds the two in balance, helping them to keep the imperative of keeping the cows alive for the mushroom so that they can have these religious experiences. This is the crux of the stoned ape theory. If humanity had access to psilocybin mushrooms, then it would have acted as an evolutionary catalyst from which language, projective imagination, arts, religion, philosophy, science, and all of human culture emerged. My interpretation of this is that magic mushrooms gave humanity curiosity. Did you know that mushrooms have intelligence? Mushrooms have been around for billions of years. Japanese scientists have proven slime mold has intelligence. It's capable of decision-making, which is amazing. They place the mold at the beginning of a maze with a piece of food at the end of it. The slime mold expanded itself across the maze, filling everything, then retracting to the direct path. They even tested it putting the slime mold on maps of major cities across Japan. The slime mold was able to organize it more effectively than the actual layout engineers had designed. The mushroom caps above ground are essentially the fruit of the mushroom, with a vast interconnected network of mycelium. Think root system. Being the main network or core of the organism. The largest living organism on Earth is Armelia Ostoia, or as it's been fondly nicknamed, Humanagus fungus. Humanagus is estimated to be around 2400 years to 8600 years old. It covers 2300 acres of Malheur National Forest in Oregon. It's the largest living organism on Earth. As with everything, it came to an end. The trinity was broken. Desertification continued and the weather got worse. The grassy plains disappeared. Since the mushrooms would no longer grow, the focus changed to herding and domestication of the cows to maintain their food source. Humanity expanded into the European continents. As opposed to living off the land, we adapted for better or worse to take control of it. I, for one, am glad we adapted and survived, but what could have happened if the temperature never changed? Would we have stepped onto a different evolutionary or sociological path? Would we have continued to congregate and find ways to hunt and farm that would end our nomadic ways? Building cities when your material needs are so low feels odd. If we did this and society sprung up as a natural counterbalance to humanity's tendency of killing each other, would our technological discoveries been more natural? Would we have developed biological computing? 
it, it's a curious thought religion. Uh, curiosity brings questions and someone is going to throw out answers. Shamanism, cults, or organized widespread religion will always be there to step in. Oftentimes when a human being comes up with a definitive answer, convincing them of other solutions is nearly impossible. When we first began to think, would our initial thoughts after safety and a full stomach be, why? In the thin line between survival and extinction, you don't really get a day off. No therapists or doctors existed. But what if you still possess empathy and the spectrum of emotions we still possess? The psychological damage of everyday life in the early days of humanity would have been near insurmountable. I embarrassed myself at the checkout of a grocery store one time and it's stricken off the list of places I can return to. I'm sorry, no frills, it's not you, it's me. Compare that to ancient times when your buddy Todd was just hanging out on a rock enjoying the sun and boom, gets taken down by a tiger. How the hell do you deal with that? You would wonder why. Is the tiger evil? Did Todd cause this to happen to him through some kind of personal fault? Or is this just the nature of things? A thinking, creative, living sentient is going to struggle with compartmentalizing this and, and not believing it's going to happen to them too. Tonight you have to go to sleep. Tomorrow you have to hunt. Whether or not Todd got eaten by a tiger. Thoughts get more complex. Explanations form over time so that you can deal with it. It's either that or you go insane. If there's no explanation, bad things just happen and will continue to happen. There is no order. It's all chaos. Then how do you continue to get up in the morning? It's possible for thought to counter animal instinct. In those moments of self-reflection, of disassociation or coping, is it possible they could have stumbled onto the idea of religion? Mushrooms appear on cave paintings dating back to the Neolithic period. Kind of showing like a mushroom priest situation. And, and it's been a part of many coming-of-age ceremonies. It was heavily used by the priestly caste of the Aztecs. What I'm getting at is that religion could have sprung up in these moments. In introspection and the calming effects of magic mushrooms, maybe it helped them deal with all of this by putting a face to the good and bad. A god or goddess. The predators that hunted humans or the plants that killed humans were evil and trickster gods. The flora and fauna that benefited us would become gods of light. I would really love to sit in the back pew of Magic Mushroom Church. Because psychedelics have been illegal, research into the benefits of them have been limited. With the current relaxing of laws, there is a potential to help depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, quitting smoking, alcohol addiction, cocaine addiction, cluster headaches, PTSD syndromes, and cancer-related or other end-of-life psychological distresses. But let's not paint magic mushrooms with a brush of non-consequence. Some people may experience nightmarish hallucinations, terrifying distortions of time and space, or anxiety attacks. Some of the adverse psychological effects of consuming mushrooms include restlessness, poor judgment, a sense of separation from the body, 
Psychotic Episodes, Delusional Thinking and Confusion. Let's keep pulling at the threads of reality. Modern science says that mushrooms are more closely related to animals than plants. They breathe oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, like human beings. Mushrooms contain no chlorophyll. Paul Stamets talked about this on his interview with Rogan, and it was absolutely captivating. Especially because he's sitting there with a hat made out of a mushroom. Which, he remarked, was his second hat because the first one had to get replaced because the first one caught on fire when someone was smoking a joint too close to him. Terence McKinnis suggested that mushroom spores possess all the necessary requirements to travel through space. Fungi build cell walls out of chitin, which is the same material that makes up the harder outer shells of insects and other arthropods. These cell walls contain similar chemicals found in butterfly wings, as well as the plumage of some colorful birds. Living spores have been found and collected in every level of Earth's atmosphere. In fact, mushroom spores are electron-dense and can survive in the vacuum of space. Additionally, their outer layer is actually metallic and of a purple hue, which naturally allows the spore to deflect ultraviolet light. And if all this wasn't unique enough... The outer shell of the spore is the hardest organic compound to exist in nature. All of this means mushroom spores are theoretically capable of space travel. It won't become deactivated due to radiation or radically changed, so untouched it can remain the same until it hits a world with the necessary life-sustaining properties. So you're saying, Tim, what could this matter? The universe is immense if aliens were looking out into the galaxy and saw the Earth, a planet that could contain life. Is it possible that they knew we were here? If their technology or science was advanced enough, maybe. Maybe it it wasn't, and these aliens could deduce that all the essential elements of life existed. Millions of light years away, a chance that they weren't alone. How could they reach out? How could they not reach out? Faster than light travel to make their way across a galaxy is nearly impossible. Mining resources and developing technologies for this is costly to your planet. What if they're closer to a biological route of industrial development, where you could send out spores? Attached to an asteroid, maybe? It could have just been from an alien world where a meteor impact smashing down freed the spores into space where it rode on radiation and happened across our world. Of over 61,000 meteorites that have been found on Earth, 224 were identified as Martian as of January 2019. If it was intentional, was it merely to jumpstart the evolution of another? Humanity has no issue playing God messing around with bringing artificial intelligence to the point of the singularity. Were they messing around with our genes? Or was it a form of communication? They needed to give us the ability to tune into the proper frequency to hear them. In the plant I work at, we have four channels on our walkie-talkies. All day, there's all these signals and conversations happening around me. Any one of these conversations I'm capable of hearing at any given time, so long as I'm on the correct channel. 
This is my misunderstanding of what I think McKenna was describing for the aliens. They wanted to talk to us, but they needed a way to get us to pick up the phone. It may have even been beyond communicating, thinking about the distances needed to travel between any worlds and ours. Through the introduction of mushrooms to give us the brains capable of picking up the phone. If it's been proven that mushrooms have intelligence, then here's an odd thought that I had. If the mycelium network can act as a possible brain, could the alien itself be the mushroom? Sending its own spores up into space to ensure its survival, traveling over eons to distant worlds on the chance it can continue its life, if it is truly capable of thought and it could make decisions based on survival, then something it would have learned a long time ago was make yourself valuable to the ruling species. If magic mushrooms make humans euphoric and don't really hurt them, they're probably going to keep us around. Even if we strip mine the earth, if mushrooms make humans high, humanity will continue to grow them. Immortality, however imperfect, is a great insurance policy. Another odd thought that I was having is that, with all the cataclysms that have befallen the Earth, it's possible, in my mind, that mushrooms were left here from an earlier form of intelligent life on Earth. I, I've thought about all of the cataclysms that have befallen the Earth. The Ice Ages asteroids striking it. I wonder if it's possible the mushrooms were left here from an earlier civilization, another form of intelligent life on Earth. Before you call me crazy, think about how easy a civilization could have come and gone and left no evidence of itself. Ocean-dwelling creatures have no need of structures. Humanity is really good at building big buildings or blowing shit up. It's kind of pompous to think that we're the only form that intelligent life could ever take. For my money, magic mushrooms are a message in a bottle. A whisper from a distant relative. A distant form of intelligent life on Earth. Another sentient that once inhabited the Earth. They knew an asteroid was about to hit. An ice age was coming. Maybe they left the shrooms here to guide whoever took the mantle of ruler of Earth. When you can't communicate through speech or gestures to something completely alien, driven by different impulses and desires, maybe they were reptilian or mammalian, maybe the best language would be emotion. Hope that whoever takes over has empathy, love, and hope and reach out to that to guide them. I wonder what mushrooms would have to tell us if we ever learned to talk to them, as Paul Stamets suggested. Why did the fungi leave the party? There wasn't mushroom. What could a mushroom car say? Shroom, shroom! I started experimenting with drugs at an early age. Cannabis and alcohol, mostly. Not the earliest of anyone in my school, and not the heaviest user. I mean, I was overweight and could have easily been the heaviest size-wise, but I didn't consume the most. 
Nonetheless, in grade 9, I was well on my way to becoming a stoner. I was dealing with a lot of loss in my family. I buried two of the three most important people in my life, and our living situation became extremely difficult. It's hard to not sound like I'm justifying myself, because we all have baggage, and it's just the way I chose to deal with it. I think because of this, most of the teachers looked the other way to allow me to deal with my pain in my own way. Or putting my adult hat on now, they actively ignored the drunk stone student at the back of the class because that's paperwork and problems they did not want to deal with. At the time, I thought I was really sneaky. But, uh, just another warning here. Cooking sherry has an alcohol content and you can buy it at a grocery store, but that does not mean it's a good idea to drink. You know, like I wasn't a troublemaker, so it never felt like I was a problem. It didn't feel abnormal because the bar was always being set from my best friend at the time, who was already an angry alcoholic with a nightstick by grade 11. So, I mean, my innocent hijinks always seemed fairly tame compared. Cannabis isn't a gateway drug. I wasn't chasing a bigger and better high. But when you smoke weed, it puts you into circles of people that might have those tendencies and therefore puts you into contact with harder drugs and social pressure to seem cool by trying them. I would have tried mushrooms around 16 years old, maybe a little earlier. It was just something that showed up and I had to try it. It had a mystery to it, a sense of the forbidden. But altogether, not that dangerous. I was expecting the big hallucinations, you know? Seeing things running around out of the corner of your eyes, which honestly scared the shoot out of me. My handle on reality is tenuous at best, so messing around with it was not high on my list. But it was there, and you gotta live a little. And I absolutely was so curious, wild horses couldn't have kept me from eventually trying it. Oh, uh, advice time? Do not go in scared to trying mushrooms. Uh, you have to be in a happy place before you start eating mushrooms, because what your brain is focused on will be intensified. Like a giant spotlight is on it, and it won't stop exacting every permutation of that thing you are thinking about. Stressed at work, things with your significant other are not going great, then maybe tonight is not the night for shrooms. It's like the same premise, if you're really pissed off, angry drinking is a terrible idea. Letting anyone know you were scared or trepidatious was almost always worse because everyone experienced with it is going to try to Sherpa you on this journey. They want to calm you down so that you can enjoy the trip up mountain high off your face and will give you pro tips that actually never really help. They're going to look at you and say things like, whatever you bring in with you emotionally will affect how you feel during the trip. So be cool. Number one, not calming me down. Number two, kind of sound like Yoda talking to Luke on Dagobah. Okay, whatever you do, do not look into a mirror. Because you'll get lost in your reflection for hours. Like, should we cover them then? No, because that's just going to scare you. I can really feel like you're getting painted into a real no-win situation. I feel lucky because... All I ever got was a feeling of happiness. Of being in the moment on a level you cannot do sober. I was there in every second. 
When I looked out either from my back porch onto the clouds, at a cottage over the lake with the stars smiling down, or in a city surveying the landscape of lampposts illuminating the maze of city streets, I was there. I don't want to misinterpret my level of experience. I've only ever done mushrooms a handful at a time. Mushrooms come on in waves of highs and then leveling out. When you take mushrooms with a group of people, an interesting thing can happen. The group will get the waves at the same time. I've had it where everybody is just a moment or two out of sync. So as you're sitting there, the first person will have that oh shoot moment. And then you realize that feeling's coming for you as well. It's a really unique experience to be riding an emotional roller coaster with an entire room full of people. This shared frequency isn't exclusive to Magic Mushroom users. Almost any time I venture out to a party, within an hour I'm surrounded by fellow pot smokers. Maybe it's the way it affects the brain over time. Maybe it's just shared interests that brought us into experimenting with weed, or what we find enjoyable when you're high, but it never seems to fail. Sober people probably don't see the point in talking about old Star Trek episodes for an hour, like when Picard was the private eye and uh, Dixon Hill, and the golden era of McDonald's having pizza. Unlike any other substance, maybe because I do mushrooms so rarely, the people I've done them with hold the shared memories in a golden light. There was this time I was trying to get into a dorm past security with a group of people, First person went through, have a nice night. Second person went through, have a nice night. And me, with a confident smirk on my face, mumbles, have a nice night. Arguing with my best friend for hours on whether or not robots wear hats after watching The Wizard of Oz and The Dark Side of the Moon synced up. Think about it, they don't. Hashtag, robots don't wear hats. Turns out we were both agreeing the whole time. We have just become so accustomed to debating. It turned into one of those conversations where we were getting louder and louder. The one and only cautionary tale I have is make sure everyone at the party is cool with it. I will never forget, a uh, buddy and myself had done mushrooms in secret at a cottage. About an hour of uh, quiet conversation he couldn't handle the high, and the tiny voice in his ear whispered that everybody knew. He announced with conviction, I'm high on mushrooms. Pause. Finger point. And so is Tim. And then he ran away, letting me deal with the disgruntled stares of strangers. I think this guy might actually be a listener, so uh, cheers, buddy, and shout out to P. We have more or less been in the same form for over 200,000 years. But in 2,000 years, we're able to figure out how to put someone on the moon and get them back alive, with computers that filled entire floors of buildings, with less computing power than what you have in your pocket. I don't know what to do with this knowledge. It's easy to disassociate ourselves from our ancestors. To think of how wildly different we are because of the access to education and ease of life due to technology. 
But they looked up at the same stars. They had the same dreams. The same desires and wishes. Our souls are the same. This is the tip of the iceberg with drugs and spiritualism. DMT, acid, and other spring to mind, as well as the spiritual and cult leaders that have stepped in to use this for good and bad. I hope to come back around to do more episodes on this, including the emerging conspiracy theory that the ruling elite is okay with drugs now because people will be easier to control. This is the first conspiracy that is making me feel uneasy. We are living in a time where monotheism is on the rise. The far, far right is getting louder and louder. Yet all of a sudden, everyone is okay with people smoking weed. Maybe the rich just realized how much money was in it. I'm new to all of this, so if I got anything wrong or left anything out, please reach out to me at beardedandboard at gmail.com. The Midnight Owl is a part of the Not After 30 podcast network. We offer four main shows and a ton of great content on one feed. The Not After 30 Podcast Network is a network of dreamers. Podcasters who believe in passion over paycheck. The Not After 30 Podcast is a lifestyle podcast. The flagship show of our network. The Awkward Throat Clear with Aaron Chalupa. NA30. Sports. Before 30. A Millennial's Journey to 30. Growing up, Dufresne. Brothers Anthony and Dave talk about how crazy their family is. Thank you, listener. And don't forget to owl at the moon. Hoot hoot. When you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. I have to assume that's how Taco Bell stays in business.